Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 214. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way-out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. Fifty-two pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Blob, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail. Made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to... The Slow Poisoner at gmail.com. That's the Slow Poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last. On sale now is Mark Arlo's latest book called Pac Man, the first animated show based upon a video game. This book tells the story of Pac Man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the Hanna Barbera Animation Studios. The history of the video game, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-off, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. The revised second edition of my Monkey's Book with Michael A. Ventrella called Long Title, the stars of Walt Disney Productions, and the Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game, are my latest books out now. I just turned in my manuscript for Unconditionally Mad, and the Turtles book is in production. I'm also working on my TV Cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare the Galloping Ghost and Harvey Superheroes. 
On today's show, we have a returning guest who has written a new book about the Beatles and has updated a book he co-wrote with me about the Monkees. Here he is, Michael A. Ventrella. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast, and today we have a returning guest, but that's not going to be a problem because he has a new book. Anyway, it is uh, my co-author on our two monkeys books, but he's written a brand new book that's not really, not the monkeys, but another popular group, and his name is Michael A. Ventrella. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> nice to be here again, Mark. Hey. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyways. Ironically, we never, we never even met until after the book was done. It's kind of weird. Never met online, I mean, you know. Anyway, well, there's a lot of people I haven't met. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah. you know, I do this podcast and, you know, I interview people all over the world, literally. I mean, I've interviewed people in England and Australia and stuff like that. So, and then... Um, not to name names, I'll just uh, just in case I don't I don't want to offend anybody. But sometimes you don't know how tall people are, and <laughs> then you see a photo of them with somebody else, and you find out either how a tall they are or how a b short they are compared to said mm -hmm. celebrity, and it's like whoa, you know, because you know if you meet face to face, everybody's just ahead. So. <laughs> I don't think you have a body because I've never seen no. no, anyway. no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so here is the brand new book uh, that uh, Michael Aventrell has done. It's all brrr, the Beatles on the charts. All group and solo albums, singles ranked by popularity. Now, yeah. I mean, me the obvious. <laughs> what? What? It took me years to write. Will you take a look? <laughs> now, I know the reason you wrote it, but tell our audience why you wrote it. Well, in the back of one of our monkeys books, um, I went through every single monkeys album and single and sort of made a chart, uh, made a cat using the charts, the billboard charts. I made a countdown. So every song that got to be number one got 100 points. Every song that got to be number 100 got one point and so on. So the longer it stayed on the charts and the higher it got, the more points it got. And then we did a countdown and I did that for the monkeys book. And uh, I, I thought this would be a good idea for a Beatles book. No one's actually done that before with all the thousands of Beatles books that are out there. So, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of where the idea came from. But there's a little bit more of it, because if you go back to my history, as I talked about in the introduction, I've always been a follower of the charts, and I used to keep them myself even before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only book that compares, but that book's over 40 years old, so it's very out of date, is this book called The Beatles on Record. But it didn't go through the specific chart placement. It just said, you know, it would have, like, I remember the... It, it would be billboard cash box record world and it would be i want to hold your hand back with i want to i saw her standing there you know and each one was one 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 and that's it because you know they didn't have any so it didn't tell you how many weeks it was on the charts it didn't have you know any other further information um one thing i you know i have read through it but you know i i, I don't know exactly or didn't check all your calculations um, in that original Beatles book called The Beatles on Record, uh, they listed Wonderful Christmas Time by McCartney as not charting at all. But it did chart on the Christmas charts and went up to number six. So um, how come you're silent all of a sudden? Um, I didn't have anything oh, to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You're just... <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway, but uh, you know, were you taking those other types of charts into account? It was just purely the hot 100 on all these. Purely the hot 100, and and one of the reasons is there were a lot of those little charts. You know, they had the R and D chart, and they had the blue. You know, they they basically they made a chart for anything. The 100 was supposed to was supposed to encapsulate all of them, but it really didn't. Yeah. For instance, you know, uh, all the Christmas songs never showed up on the regular chart at all. Mm-hmm. Now they do count the Christmas songs. So every Christmas you're going to see Mariah Carey jump back up to number one again. And, and Bing Crosby even shows up again. Right. And now we can see what now wonderful Christmas time and, and happy Christmas war is over do show up every now and then um, because it's, you know, it's Christmas time and they sell again. I wish they had done it back then, but they did. You know, you, you look at it and say, Oh, wonderful Christmas time. First chart appearance, 2020. Well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I actually didn't know that, but I don't, uh, you know, I I think I, like you, used to kind of follow the Billboard charts religiously, and you might have even taken it a step further than me, but I mean, I I used to kind of try to predict what might make it to number one, and I'd always be kind of upset when it didn't make it, you know, stall at four or something like that, you know, or I'd be fascinated when a song like, I, I think this happened roughly around 1982 i think it was the number one position for 10 weeks was like physical by olivia newton john and at the very same time the number two position was waiting for a girl like you by foreigner and i was like i wonder if it'll ever overtake it it didn't so yeah well the other thing you have to take into consideration too is that the charts are not science you know and this book is not science so don't think that just because something came in low it's not it, it didn't sell real well because it might have sold great, but the way the charts are predicted, the way they're, they're put together is not the same as it is. And, you know, a song could make a song could be at number two and only sell one less copy than the one at number one and maybe more than whatever number one sold the week before. So, you know, it's not it just shows you how they did in relation to other songs at the same time. Let's put it that way. Right. And I do know the answer to this, but I'll ask uh, because some people might be curious. Um, A song like Twist and Shout, which actually is charted two separate occasions, in fact, on two different labels, Tolly and Capital, um, are those both taken into consideration or just the first time around? No, every time. So so that's one of the reasons why uh, Twist and Shout comes on real high on our countdown is because it, it it was on the charts for so many weeks. It fell off and came back up again. And I didn't think it was right to do it twice because I certainly don't know with the albums. Albums fall off the charts and come back up all the time. Right. Abbey Road, you know, fell off the charts. And then now it's, it's literally back on now. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I don't think it's fallen off in the last five years. So the way they do these things, I didn't want to count every single time something popped up, you know, because Abbey Road's popped up 20 times. <laughs> so it's like, it's not worth it. Okay. So going back to the Christmas thing, I mean, it's theoretically possible, but not probable that the two Christmas songs we mentioned would, uh, over the years, overtake other records if you did an update on this book. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you, you want to book 50 years from now, and, and they'll probably still be playing Wonderful Christmas Time and Happy Christmas, they'll probably be doing really well in this book. <laughs> okay. Up all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. It's just kind of an interesting way to look at it, you know. So that's um, why I'm saying you can't take this book as science. You know, it's it's a fun read. Right. Um, countdown is is not completely accurate because of the fact that the way they do countdowns is different. We can talk about that later if you want to. But the idea is simply just have a fun read. You know, it, it's basically a Beatles discography, but in in order, in a different <laughs> order. 
<laughs> well, actually, yeah. no, it's not. It's not a complete discography, but some things didn't make the charts at all, and they're not in the book. Um, like, oh, Ringo's okay. Christmas album, for instance, isn't even in the book because it never made the charts, even though it should have. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I thought it had, but maybe not. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Nor, I thought I thought uh, McGear would make the charts too, but I which, searched and never which, did. Which one? McGear. McGear you know. Uh, oh, uh, my, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul's Paul's brother. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and um, the Fireman albums made the charts, you know. So. And, and and what was your uh, criteria that way? I mean, it's like, you know, McGear you're mentioning, and it's ostensibly a Wings in Disguise effort, as, well, is, as is Holly Days by... Uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. But, but Danny Lane, I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> I was going to say Danny Bob Lane Dylan. I was like, no, <laughs> Danny Lane, you know. Um, no, no, yeah, I... I if it was really a Beatles project, obviously Wings, obviously, you know, uh, the Wilburys, they should count. They're pretty much Beatles projects. If they were one of the main members in the group, um, then certainly it would count. So I did count, you know, Susie and the uh, Red Red Stripes, which was basically Linda and Wings. Yeah. I would have counted McGear if it had made the charts. Because yeah. to me, that was pretty much, it might not have used Paul's name, but it was sort of a, you know, a Wings album in some ways, as if as if his brother had joined Wings, you know. Right. So, uh, so it's a, uh, but it didn't make it. So it didn't. So it became irrelevant. You know, all, all I counted, I counted any album that, that had the Beatles individually or in a group. And when it came to singles, I had to count it if they were giving credit. So yeah. on some of those singles, Michael, uh, uh, Michael Jackson did with uh, Paul McCartney. They counted because Paul was giving credit next to him. Mm-hmm. Paul also did some, you know, but Paul's played bass and sang on lots of albums and they didn't necessarily, he wasn't credited equally with the uh, original person. So I didn't count those. Right. Unfortunately, and... I had four or five seconds. Yeah, I was going to mention that one. It's like, um, I actually like your commentary on that one. If <laughs> if you disagree, I'm paraphrasing, if you disagree with this, you can always just toss it out and move everyone up. But not... <laughs> yeah, like I said, this isn't, you know, it, all <laughs> All the charts I use are in the back of the books. So you can do your own calculations however you want. <laughs> yeah. Since you probably researched this for the purposes of the book, um, tell, explain how Billboard records were charted back in the 60s and even up until pretty recently because it changed somewhere along the line and then how they do it now. They've, it's changed quite a bit. When it first started, they, they relied a lot on radio play and they would basically do it like, someone does a survey where they get a percentage of radio stations and record stores and just ask them and use that as a guideline. Um, and, and so radio play made a lot of difference. A song would zoom up the chart as the DJ liked, and then it would zoom right back down again, you know, when they became tired of it, even if it was still selling. It also meant that B sides were counted as even though they were on the same piece of vinyl, which was kind of weird because you know, there were album cuts that were being heard too, but they never made the charts because they were never on a 45, which, right. you know, I mean, when Sgt. Pepper came out, they were playing every single cut on Top 40 radio, even though they weren't singles, but they never made the chart, for instance. Hmm. Then in the 70s, around the time of Come Together and um, and uh, something, they were both zooming up the charts together. You know, it was going to be number one and number two, probably. Hmm. And then Billboard said, all right, heck with that. We're, gonna, we're not going to count B-sides anymore. So they switched them together and suddenly they became number one. And all the B-sides that had appeared on the charts from that point on disappeared. <laughs> Now, in the 70s, they started getting a little more technical. They got a lot better about going to the record stores and, and getting the numbers. And it was much more based on sales as opposed to just radio play. And so songs would 
stay on the charts longer because people were still buying them. Then we got the scanning devices and the numbers got even better. And once they started doing the scanning devices, they discovered something weird is people sometimes buy country albums and, and, uh, and rap albums too. <laughs> and suddenly those things started getting up on the charts that had not been shown before. So it was a lot more accurate at that point and they were relying more on sales. Then the internet happened. So what they do now is they look at streaming. They look at like Spotify, they look at YouTube downloads. They look at whatever, you know, is downloaded and what people are listening to. So now we're almost back to just, you know, we're, you're just almost back to, to um, uh, popularity as opposed to sales, because they're not just counting sales anymore. That, you know, they're not counting download sales or they're counting just listening. Mm -hmm. um, so we're kind of going back, th back the other way. And what's weird about that is a song can disappear forever and suddenly zoom back up. Remember Kate Bush's uh, Running Up That Hill, right? right. Great song from the 80s. It was on a TV show and it zoomed back up to number one like 30 years later mm -hmm. because people are suddenly downloading it all over the place. So that would never have happened under the old system. The other thing is some artists will come out with a new album. Taylor Swift comes out with an album and every single song on that album is in the top 10 for a couple of weeks at least as everyone's right. down. So people are saying, oh, look, she's breaking the Beatles record. Well, no, she isn't because it's, com it's completely <laughs> different way to do it. If they had done it back that way, the Beatles would have been all over the charts constantly, yeah. you know? The yeah. White Album would come out, and the top three spots would be Beatles, you know. Right. <laughs> so that's crazy. It's just you know, I I think it's kind of unfair how they do it now because I mean, you could just put out anything, and it's like you could chart the A sides, B sides, or whatever, and it's just whatever. You know, it, to me, it's like if, it's not a single unless it's actually a physical single, you know. And um, but then, but then you know, there haven't been. I, I, don't buy, I don't buy vinyl anymore. I download everything myself. Uh, you know, the problem I have is here, here's the way I'm looking at it. And I yeah. think this is and tell me what you think. You know, if I download it and I buy it, it should count, obviously. But what if I subscribe to a service? I don't want to download it. I just want to listen to it in the background with all the other songs I picked from that service. When they play it, the, the you know, the songwriter does get paid. So in a sense, he may be annoying me pennies, but, you know, they are getting paid. So maybe they should count the downloads, but maybe they should count them less. I don't know. It's just a weird way of looking at it, you know? So they aren't counting downloads as well. Is that what you're saying? I thought you said that they were, but. Oh, they are counting downloads. I'm saying maybe they should count downloads here because I'm paying for oh, it. Oh, more a... significantly. Listen. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. More significantly. Maybe they do. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not in on that. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, you know, it, it always, in my mind, it always should have been based on sales. You know, but, you know. But my point is, even if you're paying Spotify to listen to that song, that is a sale. It's yes, a no, I agree thing. with that. You know, so yeah. I think that should count. But I mean, uh, I, you know, it, it used to bug me. Like, in, in fact, you know, it says it in some book about the Beatles. I don't know which one, but it's talking about uh, certain British records of the Beatles charting better than American ones based on that they just sold better. You know, it was just like, or vice versa, that they sold worse. Like, um, if you follow the the Beatles charts post '67, uh, a lot of Beatles records in in England didn't make number one. Strangely enough, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of odd. Whereas here, they still made number one all the way through "Long and Winding Road," and, well, uh, and almost, they didn't even almost, put "Long and Winding Road" over in England. But what what? 
John and Yoko did not make number one. The Ballad of John and Yoko did not make number one. But generally speaking, you are correct. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. but uh, you know, like uh, I think Lady Madonna and, uh, made it to number four or something like that. And I think even uh, something come together made it to only two or something like that. If I remember, it might have been Get Back. Yeah. One of the other ones made it only to two. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's like it was. They weren't a consistent number one act based right. on you know since. Uh, the British ones are only based on sales and not airplay. See here, Beatles are guaranteed airplay at least at that time. You know, now not, maybe maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because the, there were there were a few earlier Beatles singles that did not make number one in America, but they were almost all American only singles, like Nowhere Man, that wasn't released as a single in Britain, and it yeah. didn't make number one in America. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, you could be pretty guaranteed if it was an official Beatle release as opposed to one of the you know, 1964, when everything, any, any, any record label that had anything to do with the Beatles would put it out. I'm not counting those. Yeah, pretty, pretty much it, it made number one. Absolutely. Yeah. Although there was a bit of a glut of uh, records coming out by mid 64. So yeah, there's like, if I yeah. fell that made to like 12 or something, if I remember correctly, yeah. you know, they were because with each other, you know, and competing with themselves as opposed to with each other, you know, with other acts. So yes, that definitely is true. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, even the aforementioned Beatles on record, it talks about that. It is just that there's just a glut of material. And by that point, people just opted to buy the album rather than buy yet another single from the Hard Day's Night soundtrack and something new, you know, which is playing double duty on the same album, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I did talk about that a bit. One of the problems with the book, of course, is it talks about the American albums, which aren't even available anymore. You know, those are the ones I grew up with, too, before I was able to buy imports in the 70s and suddenly get the better versions. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's if you ask me today what was on something new, I'm not sure if I could list them, you know, like I could back in those days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but that's 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 what the American charts were. I can't I can't make you know, I can't change that, obviously. Yeah, I, I think I've followed the American releases more closely in, in recent years, just from the standpoint of they put out like those box sets, the Capitol Records, number one, stuff like that. And of course, you always talk about, I, I don't buy a record collection anymore. You stream most everything and uh, or watch it or whatever, you know, and whereas me, I still like product, you know, <laughs> I still buy the product. You know? There's nothing wrong with that to yeah, each yeah. their own. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, used to, I used to collect everything and I just got to the point where I didn't care about the packaging. I just wanted the music, you know. Yeah. So I did draw a, the line on the, the latest McCartney 80 singles box yeah. set, which I would have loved to have owned, but not for $600. So, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it price-wise. I said, it, it was around 200 I would could do it, but 600 yeah. no. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it seems when, like when, gouging. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I, I definitely when when the big you know, when the Beatles remix set came out in stereo, I bought that huge box, you know, because it was I wanted the packaging in that one because there's you know the booklets that came with it and everything else, but also just because it was probably cheaper than trying to download all those songs. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get all those album upgrades and everything, or you just you know? whatever you get you know no i definitely i love it when they remix them obviously you know i they, okay. i always buy those i'll agree i don't i don't download those things no i mean but i'm talking about you know it's like I, I didn't necessarily buy paul's latest album i just downloaded it you know there was nothing necessarily special about it but you know when he remixed ram i went out and bought that yeah. you know i don't know i guess it depends <laughs>
but my point is, you know, I, I don't, once I down, once I get it, I put it on my phone, I put it on my computer and I put it away and it's just there. You know what I mean? I'm not using it in the yeah. sense that yeah. I would take the CD out and put it in a CD player and play it. Yeah. Well, I still play CDs, but that's not the point. And, and I yeah. really detest buying multiple albums over and over, but I'm thinking about it like I'm sure I bought the White Album like 10 times in my lifetime at least, and, you yeah. know, all the different yeah. formats and the upgrades and everything like that. And then even McCartney 3, I mean, I didn't want to buy so many copies, uh, <laughs> but I ended up buying... Okay, I wasn't going to buy anything other than you know how they always have an album and then they do a, a one with bonus tracks i always yes. try to get the one with the most tracks on it in the case of mccartney 3 um there was a japanese version that has like early versions of like four tracks now i don't know if you can get those on streaming here but i don't tend to pay attention to streaming um but uh i ordered it from japan and it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed because it's japan and it was also the pandemic so uh went to target one day there's the album minus the four tracks but it's the album and it was on sale was like i think 8.99 or something pretty cheap i said eh, okay i'll buy it so then the japanese one comes in so now i have two copies and then um i i, I somehow felt like weird that i had the need that um uh well first of all before that i still buy the beatles and solo albums on vinyl after all these years and so i had to buy a vinyl version now on this particular vinyl version i don't know if you read or subscribe to beetle fan but there's like a yellow pressing there's a green pressing there's a brown pressing a pink pressing a white pressing a you know and it's like no i no <laughs> i'm not gonna go there but i bought you know just what i got which was just a general black vinyl pressing and there it is so that's three copies then uh more recently they put mccartney one two and three in a box set and i said and i didn't want to buy it i said i have them all already and then i just oh i buy everything else and i'm kind of <laughs> jonesing for some new mccartney material so i bought that because i had heard that the mccartney cd has the apple on it again and it does so i said well oh you know he never had it on before because since it's been on vinyl so i wanted a cd with that you know it's just a stupid reason and so yet another version of mccartney 3 <laughs> you know and then he does the remix album and so i have that on vinyl yeah. and cd and if you count those that's yet another thing you know and i'm trying not to buy all these versions but it's like <laughs> um even egypt uh station the previous one i try i got just the expanded version Right. And then a year later, they put out a new expanded version, but it had new tracks and it took off other tracks. And I said, eh, not only do I have to buy the upgrade to get the other tracks that I want, but I have to keep the old one because they didn't leave, you know, so I have two of them now. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> every once in a while, if I go to Amazon or one of those places to try to download an album, they will say this is only available if you buy the CD sometimes. So yeah. some of those bonus tracks, I have had to buy CDs for just to get them. I agree. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's my only choice, that's my only choice. Yeah. Now, are you still much of a completist as I try to be and get annoyed doing that? You have to have every single song Paul or Ringo puts out at this point. I or... used to. I used to be, I don't know why, but, you know, I mean, I used to work in a record score. I was in a band, I, I music meant everything. I got every single thing. Elvis Costello burped and I had to get the CD of it, you know. And, <laughs> and, and then, I don't know, somewhere along the way, I just stopped caring about that song. I just wanted the music. 
You know, I guess when it became available online and I could get digital copies of things, that's when somehow it hit me that I don't need the packaging. Just yeah. get me the song. And 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 it's in some ways it was sad because one of my favorite memories is wandering around Boston or New York when I lived in New York, just going to all the used record stores and spending all day just looking for something. Oh, hey, where did this? I've been looking for this. You know, that was fun. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore. So it's you know that yeah. that I miss. <laughs> you know, well, and I miss getting an album with big writing that I can read the lyrics instead of five point type that I need a. <laughs> now. Since I kept buying albums and getting into CDs and everything, uh, I'm discouraged a different way. So um, first I'll do the vinyl story. So the vinyl story is, you know, in the 70s, there were, vinyl was it. I mean, you could buy cassettes and eight tracks, but I never really went in those formats. And in uh, the early 80s, CDs came in and I go, ooh, perfect sound. So, but they're really picky on CDs. And it's like, you know, oh, you know, like there's certain groups where even to this day, their whole discography, Ringo's a good example. Some of his albums to this day are not on CD and it's just frustrating, yeah. you know, and um, unless you want to burn your own or bootleg it or something, you know, but uh, I'm talking about legit, you know, releases and stuff like that. And so by the, the 80s, I got to where I'd buy albums on CD but I loved vinyl seven inch singles. I, and also they tended to put out a lot in those days. Um, yes. Maybe you can describe that. Yeah. What happened then? You know, that was it just thriller or is it, there's something in how things were sold that they had to suddenly put seven singles off a nine, a nine track album. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think, I think it was the disco era when everything was about dancing because it seemed like every song that could possibly be extended to seven minutes was suddenly extended to seven minutes. Um, well, I, well, I don't mean that as much as just putting, you know, it, you know, like Thriller has nine songs on the album right. and every song except one is on a single. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you that know, was, it's like, was, and, was, you know, and then after that, then Huey Lewis did it. Billy Joel did it. You know, even McCartney tried to, but McCartney didn't make it. And so a lot of times they'd make it to like the fourth single and that would be the end of that, you know. Yeah. But it's true. And there was a period where it seems like, you know, they just would release every single, yeah, every song. Uh, that was amazing to me sometimes when I was working in a store. It's like, what, another single from the same album? That just doesn't make any sense. And some of the, you know, uh, it, it a lot of it depends, too, I think, on how often they got albums out. You know, I mean, I was a big Elvis Costello fan, and he put out an album every six months or so. And so there wasn't time to put out a lot of singles from the album before the next album was out. Whereas yeah. Thriller lasted three years before he made another one, you know? Right. So I guess that kind of explains it. It's like you don't have new product. you got to do well, something you know, I, with it, you know? <laughs> well, from a record label perspective, I can see it. Let's put it out. If it sells, great. If it doesn't, well, you know, we haven't lost that. Much. We'll at least make our money back. Give me a break. So, you know, sure. Let's take advantage of it while we can. Which is the same thing that happened to the Beatles in 1964. Everyone put everything they can possibly put out, you know, and, and, and <laughs> let's take advantage of the, of the fad while it's here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then the 90s rolled around. And this is where I kind of like lose it because seven inch singles basically went gone. Bye bye. And then, you know, they're kind of back now. But whenever you see a seven inch single, it's always like 15 bucks or something. It's like, yeah. you know, it's more than an album, you know. So um, unless it's something really good or a beetle related thing i probably won't buy it on a seven inch single or something but um that's where i kind of got derailed from what reading the charts and stuff so well because they would 
incorporate album tracks and things like that into the top the hot 100 and i said wait a minute wait a minute they they didn't used to do this now they're putting album tracks in here like you know i i said huey lewis a good example is like back in time from back to the future which i wish they had put out as a seven inch single and they never did but they mm-hmm. played got a lot of radio airplays and suddenly it was oh, yeah. album track number 10 you know and it's like uh no <laughs> that doesn't count but i wasn't running billboards so that's right no there are a lot of things billboard did that were very suspicious too you know you kind of wondered they, they probably knew this wasn't an act i remember the time that a tony orlando and dawn song went from number 25 to number three which never happens and then they, <laughs> and, and i still remember at the time reading articles in other magazines talking about how this is obviously a scam and someone's paid somebody off <laughs> you know, and I think Billboard sort of watched itself after that. But you have to wonder why, like, number nine dream made it to number nine and then stopped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but things like that. And you also wonder when when the other magazines at the time had something at number one that somehow never made it to number one on Billboard's charts, even though the, all the other magazines said it was number one. You know, yeah. you wonder if they were a little biased in yeah. some way and just did their best. Or, you know, then again, like I said, it's not a science. Yeah. Well, I remember on, um, you know, using Thriller by Michael Jackson as an example, you know, the first three or four singles went to one or two or something or other. And then, you know, just by the law of just attrition or whatever that everybody else has bought the album, why would you buy a single at this point? Unless there's something brand spanking new about it. Uh, but I remember the sixth single was PYT, Pretty Young Thing. And they kept saying, ooh, is it going to make it to the top 10? And it, it, it kind of went to like 17, 16, 13. And I said, ah, it's not going to make it. And then the next week, 10. And then the next week was like 21. It's like, oh, yeah, come dude, on. Yeah, you know? Just so they can write an article about how he made it to the top 10 six yeah. times on one album. And then Bruce Springsteen did it with Born in the USA. There was like six singles off of that, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, we go into the 90s and the the aughts and everything like that. And um, I'm buying CDs at this point, and I never liked CD singles because I said, if I'm going to buy a single, you know, I don't need 10 remixes of, you know, (laughs) World in My Eyes or something by Depeche Mode. You know, it's like, I just want the album version. Thank you. You know, it's like, um, but uh, I'd buy those occasionally. But, you know, then... Were you into like Napster and stuff like that when it came out? Or? At first, yes, I, I was. And, and I thought yeah. Napster was a great idea. And mostly what I used Napster for was to find unusual things like live yeah. versions and things that, or B-sides that had been always very hard to find. Um, and then, of course, when they said, no, you can't do that anymore. Well, I'm a lawyer and I'm not going to risk my law career downloading things from Napster. Anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, <laughs> you that know, didn't stop me, but then I'm a lawyer. So it's like, don't arrest me. <laughs> um, so, so I haven't done that anymore, no. Yeah. Well, now supposedly everything's legit. Ha, ha, ha. I don't know. You know, it's like. I, I get most of my stuff from Amazon, you know, yeah. when yeah. I want to download stuff. But I'm, honestly, I also go to, I try to frequent my local uh, record store we have a local used record store in town of course and i try to give them business and i buy a lot of, i do buy a lot of old cds from them because it's cheaper than downloading the album really you know if you pay five dollars okay. so you're not adverse to having some product uh, you know oh, I, no, no, no. I, I got I, the impression I, that you, I, I got rid of all my collection and i oh, only no, I, streaming, I, I could no. move my camera and you could see all the cds i still have once i downloaded <laughs> on a computer my phone I'm not as interested in it after that is what I'm trying to say. I How think, I yeah. did it is not as important to me as what I did. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> now, the odd thing here, Nate, you're, 
where you live, it's in Pennsylvania, but is it near, where, where are you near? Uh, I'm in Stroudsburg, which is sort of right over the border to New Jersey. We're like halfway between uh, Allentown and Scranton. I'm about 80 miles from New York City. Okay, but in Pennsylvania, what's the biggest city you're closest to then? Uh, probably Allentown. Oh, okay. So, well, how close are you to Philadelphia then? Or, or oh, we're about 100 city? miles, maybe 120 miles. So I'm closer okay. to New York City than I am to Philadelphia. Oh, okay. And so how I close can... is New York City then? About 80 miles. Oh, okay. So it's still yeah, like we're, that close. We're, okay. we're literally, some some cartographers consider us a New York City suburb because we do have people who live here who actually commute to New York for work. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty long <laughs> commute, but you know, yeah, it, it's well, it's the equivalent here. I'm in the middle of the state, and you know, a lot of people commute, including my wife, all the way to Portland every day, which is a uh, nice two-hour drive. So, yeah, <laughs> each direction. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Anyway, um, no, the reason I was yeah. asking that is because I thought you know you you were more in like a city more than suburbia. No, I could practically walk to New Jersey. I, I'm okay. right on the. <laughs> Um, and the reason I was asking is perhaps you have a better record store. We did have a pretty good one when I moved here, but they 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 actually closed right before the pandemic. The guy just said, eh, I've done it for 30 years. And it was one of those record stores that they had all the new releases. They got everything. And if you didn't, ha if they didn't have it, they'd get it. But uh, there's a couple of record stores now. You know, they're nice and they get some of the new releases, but mostly no, not. We had, so we had a pretty good, you know. Town owned, not part of a of a of a any sort of big conglomerate, you know, yeah. local guy who runs it who I know and talk to all the time. And he sells used stuff and he has new stuff too. He can get anything. You know, and he's got rock and roll books in there. He had our book there for a while, you know, things like oh. that. Um, so it's, you know, it's 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 a good store. And and you know, we're not a we're a town, but we're not like a backwards sleepy, you know, yeah. town, you know. Okay. So my point of saying all this is you know, you were saying, you know, it's like I I'm you were saying like I miss or you I used to do yeah. the record stores like that. But the thing is, I miss that, too, because I like going into the record store. I didn't know if you ever had Tower Records or an equivalent to that, you know, well, where they had yeah. everything. And it was Boston. Huge, like yeah, a warehouse of everything. And it's like I miss that, but they don't have that. Um, so usually, you know, the closest we have is Barnes and Noble. They'll mm -hmm. get like the really popular stuff. So if you want Taylor yeah. Swift's new album, it's there. And they get a few oddball items like uh, they had Barbara Streisand's first concert or something from 1962 recently. So if you want something like that, of course, when they have these Beatles reissues, they have that. But yes. if you want Ringo's new EP, good luck finding that in the record store. You know, so I, I order a lot of stuff. Um on uh, you know just amazon or whatever and have to get it that way so it kind of uh uh you know yeah, yeah. the there, fun no... of seeking it out it's like I, okay i just have that's, to why, it. that's why i like this because it's a used it has lots of used cds and i yeah. find obscure things that i always went you know i always wanted to try this for four bucks i'll try it you know that yeah. kind of <laughs> now you know, um yeah. I am a fan of some newer groups. You know, we usually are talking, you know, you and I about yeah. like monkeys and beetles and Rolling Stones or whatever, you know, just all old 60s stuff. But, you know, I, it's not like I try to keep up. I mean, like, even though I said Taylor Swift, uh, I don't really care for her material, the stuff I've heard. So I don't really pursue her right. stuff. But I still like the Black Eyed Peas, even post Fergie. And I found out the other day, uh, oh, they put out an album at the end of 2022. I didn't know that because I would have known that in the old days, if I go to a record store and said new releases, the yep. Barnes and Noble didn't have it. 
it didn't chart either so they obviously aren't promoting it very well and uh, so i had to order it online and i you know target you can order it from target.com but they don't carry it in the store yeah so it, no, it's, it's an odd it's, way to do shopping and and get get music in well, I get frustrated by that archaic format, I guess. Well, I, I was I was the program director of our college radio station, so I got all the new releases. This was back during you know new wave in the late seventies and early eighties, yeah. and so I found a whole lot of great music at the time that I'd never would have come across before because the promoters would send it to the radio station, as you would guess, and we'd listen to it and decide if we liked it or not. Um, and now it's like, how do I find this stuff? I don't know. So what I usually do is I go to YouTube and I type in bands I like and see what else pops up on the side. And I just randomly click it. Or I uh, sometimes I go yeah. and say, dog, give me some good ska music. And I see what pops up and I try. And I found a couple of bands that I really liked that I never heard of before. Um, yeah. And I started downloading their stuff, you know, and, and really enjoying it. But it's, 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 you got to search for it. You really got to do yeah. your work. You're doing your homework. Yeah. You know, you can't going and browse anymore yeah and you know if it's an artist i like i'm sure you're this way because you talked about it you want to get every album they put out even the mm -hmm. stinkers you know yeah. or you don't know it's a stinker because they may put out a new album it might be the best album of their career at least yeah. in your eyes and so um like um a group i always liked was information society of course their first album was a big mega mega hit and the rest have been like eh, you know but i've always kind of liked their material and you know, it's only because I, I've done research on, looking on Wikipedia and then they list all the albums they've released and I find out they've released three albums in the last decade. I didn't know that. And so I had to go and order them because no store ever carries them. They didn't chart. Yeah. Nobody knows. I don't even know why they bothered to release them. And they're really yeah. good albums, at least if you're a fan of that group. You know, it, it's the same sound. You know, it's the same type of stuff. It's the same people. It's just... You know, yeah. how do you find out about this stuff? Yeah, that it doesn't come easy, especially with radio stations all being run by big conglomerates that don't encourage a lot of different sounds. Radios yeah. all sound alike today, you know, and I, 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 I when the 60s, the DJ could play whatever he won. You know, he'd play yeah. a rock song followed by a soul song, followed by a country song and a novelty song, and then some Barbara Streisand song. You know, radio was eclectic at the time, and we learned a lot and got a lot better musical education because of it. You know, if you grow up listening to only one thing, you know, you're not going to get a very good musical education. Yeah. And that's what I liked, too, is the variety. I mean, when it got a little more strictly top 40 and they dumped a few things like, say, novelty records, or, you know, something that kind of didn't fit the format. I was OK with that because it's like, hey, if I'm going to listen to country, I'll go to the country station or something right. like that. But, you know, now it's like it's odd you know like if you want to listen to top 40 the weird thing about top 40 stations now and i i think it has to do with because the way uh artists release their material nowadays is they'll still be playing stuff from the 90s as new because you know like using let's say adele as an example somebody said this is a joke i'm waiting for her next album called 70 you know because she always names them after her age and she takes so long to make a new album you know so yeah you know and and, and i get it you know it's like so you can't really you know you know going bringing it all back to round circle to the beatles you know the beatles were putting like 
two or three albums in a year, sometimes more, you know, if you put out a greatest hits or a live, well, they didn't do a live album, but you know, or yeah. some other type of album, you know, no, that, then that was normal. You know, bands would put out two albums a year, sometimes three. I mean, the monkeys put out one every five months. Right. Um, you know, the, the turtles put out one every five months. Uh, Tommy James put out one every three months. It seems like. And yeah. so that's just how things were done back then. Um, and the Beatles kind of broke that when they spent so long to make Sgt. Pepper, but they still put out two albums a year. They yeah. still did. And, yeah. and they followed their contract, I guess you could say. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was unusual at the time. I, I wish, yeah. sometimes I wish that would happen again. Nowadays, bands spend three years making one album. You know? Yeah. I think it's funny, you know, when John Lennon retired all those years, everybody thought it was forever, you know. And nowadays, five years, five like, years is like <laughs> jump change, I guess, you know, for some of these yeah. groups, you know. Well, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I guess in the old days, you know, uh, you know, you never thought a group like, say, the Monkees would come back and do another album 10, 20, 30 years later, you know. Oh, uh, you figured, oh, well, this is done, well, you know. Well, and, and, of course, back in those days, the idea of anyone old making rock and roll was absurd. I mean, I, I still remember when I was young and getting an album by um, the sensational Alex Hardy band, a very fun band from Scotland. <laughs> and, and they no, they're, they're clever. I saw them open for Jethro Tull, believe it or not. And they, uh, and, the, and I read about it and the lead singer was over 40. And I went, that's impossible. Who ever heard of a <laughs> doing rock and roll, you know? Yeah. And uh, things have changed. Well, there's a meme going around that, uh, you know, the ages of the Traveling Wilburys when they did the first album and the elder statesman was Roy Orbison at the age of 52. <laughs> and it's like, you know, everybody yeah. else is in their 40s. And it's like, oh, geez, you know, but, you know, it's like, you know, you, you got the impression, oh, this is what you do in your retirement years, this kind of super group thing. And it's like, unfortunately, yeah. three fifths of them are now dead. But, you know, it's like, and yeah. they all kind of died young. So maybe it was, sure. you know, but I do say this about music anyway. I always think that if you're a musician, especially rock and roll, you're on borrowed time after age 50 anyway. So, you know it's like um you know. well so many so many good musicians have not been able to keep their business up you know it's huge gigantic stars that are you know playing small clubs you know these days but at least they're still playing that's always good and i'm glad some of them are playing in small clubs because that's the only way i can afford to see them right <laughs> so who are you seeing i know you're seeing someone really soon so oh yeah i'm seeing mickey Dolan tomorrow uh he's gonna be that concert and then we have tickets for sparks in a couple of weeks too this will be my fifth time seeing sparks they're another one of my favorite bands, obviously. Mm -hmm. And they're another one of those bands where I bought every record, even though I went, oh, this isn't very good. You know, because <laughs> they, 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 they had a long period where they were just, it was not very creative. And they fortunately had gotten a lot, lot better again. It's mm -hmm. like they learned, they learned how to do it again. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with it. But this isn't about Sparks. Let's talk about the Beatles. <laughs> I thought I, I thought you had already seen Sparks. I do have to ask this about Sparks. You said you've seen them five times. When was the first time you saw them? First time I saw them was in Boston. I didn't get to see them in their, in their first runaround. So this was around 85, 86 or so oh, at okay. a small club. And Heidi and I were right up against the stage. I mean, I practically could have reached out and touched them. It was wonderful. <laughs> so, and, and and the worst thing about it was I had a band in Boston at the time. And I got there and the opening act was another band from Boston that really sucked. And I went, how the hell did they, if I had known they had, they were going to get a local band to open for them, I would have begged. I would have done it for free. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. Well, bringing it back to the Beatles, then again, uh, have you seen any Beatles, any solo, any kids, anybody? 
No, I have not. I have not. Every time really? I think, wow. It's just so expensive, man. Yeah. You know, I can't justify that kind of cost. I'm not a rich lawyer, you know, and, yeah, and I've yeah. got a disabled wife that I have to take care of, and we just don't have a lot of money to spend. I, I just can't justify spending hundreds of dollars to see something. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just me. Yeah. I, you know, well, I, I, grew, I grew up poor. I didn't have a lot of money, and I'm very frugal about some things. Yeah. Well, even things that I like, I, I saw a lot of those. You know, I did see Paul five times, but the last time was 2005, and it was $50 a ticket. And so that was hideous, you know, <laughs> you know, because before it was like $20, $30, yeah, yeah. you know. And, I saw a lot of you know, when I was young when I paid $15, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so I saw the Ramones for three bucks, you know. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I did man, I am going to see Ringo this year. I'm going to see him in June. Um, part of, part of the reasons my wife says, "Oh, I've never seen Ringo. Can I see him?" And I said, oh, "I've seen him five times too." But well, I'll ch I'll check into it. Now, if he was hundreds of dollars, no, I wouldn't. But he actually lowered his prices since the last oh. I looked, and okay. I don't know if he's doing that nationwide. But uh, here, uh, the tickets were fifty bucks each, which fifty bucks now is reasonable, especially when it's oh, Ringo. Absolutely. You get a, no, you I'm get a, bu a bunch of other big stars in you know together in the all-star band so but i know a couple of years ago before the pandemic or something he was charging about 200 to ticket you know he was yeah, up was there crazy. you know and i think he was getting it back then but i think times are a little bit slow and he doesn't want to have an empty <laughs> empty place to play so yeah you know, lower the price a little bit and you know oh i'll check into it then so if ringo's coming to your town you know check into it because you know he's more reasonable this time around yeah you know, i definitely will can't say the same about mccartney but you know it's like oh uh, you know, yeah but ringo shows are always fun anyone i've ever brought to ringo even the first time i went to see ringo which was in 89 um i brought a bunch of friends and they go Ringo, what's he done? Yellow Submarine, is that it? You know, he did other songs, and then they went and you know, yes, Ringo did Yellow Submarine, but he did with a little help from my friend. Oh, I didn't know that was Ringo. Yeah, it's Ringo. And, and oh, it don't come easy. I didn't know that was yeah, it's Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you know, back then it was uh, like uh, he had Joe Walsh and Billy Preston and um, two guys from the band, Rick Danko and I forgot mm -hmm. the other guy. Um, but they all sang their hits, and so when I left, everybody's like, "Oh, that was a great concert," you know. And I see, yeah. you know, it's like you know, Ringo's not a slouch. You just gotta put some crap out there he wants to try to do a quality show and in general i think he has all these years so anyway. you think ringo and paul will ever tour together <sighs> no <laughs> no i don't either. i mean Although he, paul did show up once i think to oh, a, ringo, yeah, to a yeah. ringo concert but i'm saying it in that way because you know it's like Paul is like the star and Ringo's like the underling, you know, it shouldn't be, but yeah. yeah and Ringo's shown up even in wings over America. I think Ringo showed up in LA, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, to have Paul showed up at an all-star concert um, that actually happened once a few years ago, but it wasn't here. It was, I think it was back East somewhere. I think it was in New York or something, um, but it happened once, you know, but I remember a few years earlier, uh, Mad Magazine did a joke about that. Uh, it was like one of those don't you hate type books, but it was like, you can be assured. And one of them was, you can be assured if Ringo's having an all-star band, one of them will not be Paul McCartney. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, he doesn't need anyone to overshadow him. No, yeah. definitely. Not. And Paul would definitely overshadow him. Yeah. Yeah. 
actually i think would be neat now i've heard that they may be recording together but it'd be interesting if they toured together is uh it would be um paul and ringo with mick jagger and keith richards yeah I, I, that's that's the rumor but apparently what happened was paul and ringo were playing on like one song or something yeah uh, on their next album and suddenly the rumor got out of control i did read about that a couple of weeks yeah. ago and so. for years be- i said i said you know it'd be funny if it was paul and ringo with pete townsend uh <laughs> roger daltrey but then you know it's like because you know it's funny both the who and uh the rolling stones don't have an original drummer or bassist anymore yes, you exactly. know? <laughs> that yeah. that's been the line but no that's not gonna happen yeah, Paul's I know. Like, I know. Paul, paul didn't even want to take second from john so you know it's, i don't think he's going to take it from anybody else yeah well what is your opinion of this i have mine and i'll give it to uh, i'll give mine in a second but what do you think McCartney's relationship is within the rock and roll industry? Oh boy. Um, you want me to give my opinion first, huh? Yeah. I think they all, they all respect him literally for all the things he's done in the past. And I think they consider him an elder statesman who is beyond his time. I think that's probably what a, a lot of insiders think, whether they're right or not. I mean, cause he still fills stadiums and his albums still sell after all these years yeah it's kind of insulting but i certainly had got that impression because from the you know they don't he doesn't get played on the radio you know he puts out a new album and it's pretty much here's an album for all you oldies fans you know and that's how it's treated mm-hmm. nowadays yeah well, um, you- well pretty much the same thing except uh the the other thing is i i always have gotten the impression since the even in the beatles days that McCartney is a little bit of a control freak and so he doesn't really make friends within the industry easily like even the yeah like even the time when he did do some recordings with Elvis Costello it wasn't like happiness and light and sweetness and because the album I wanted to see it I'm sure you did too is you wanted to see McCartney and McManus that would be the name of the album and they're posing on the album like this you know no wings no uh McCartney uh, Linda and all that stuff oh some of Paul's whoops someone trying to sneak in oh yeah I think my wife Some of Paul's best stuff is the stuff he did with Elvis. I mean, if nothing else, lyrically wise, Elvis taught Paul, you can't just write these I love you songs all the time. They have to have a story behind them. Right. Um, so I, I agree. Some of the stuff um, from Flowers in the Dirt and some of the some of the B-sides that didn't make the album are just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Back on My Feet is one of my favorite Paul McCartney songs. Yeah. So, But I'm yeah, just hoping someday that they would take, all, you know, I, I wanted them to do it back then, but take the songs from flowers in the dirt and spike and uh what's the uh what's the other uh elvis costello album and yeah and then off yeah. the ground by mccartney yeah strip all the yeah. other tracks away and just have a mccartney mcmanus album you know mm-hmm. like it should have been back in 1990 but you know it's like yeah. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, at least it, they may have written it together and may have played on a few songs together, but I, obviously it, it didn't happen. Yeah. But Paul's done that. You know, look how many times Wings changed and just it's you know it was around what six seven years long and it changed constantly. It's like every album it was a different yeah. lineup. Yeah. And, uh, and certainly from some of the people who have written about it, some of the old band members, they they talk about Paul's controlling nature. Yeah, you know, Paul say, "Oh, we're going to have a band. Everyone's going to be in the band, and you each get solo songs. But I'm going to control every bit of it and tell you which song you're going to sing and how you're going to sing it." You know, and they were like, eh, and 
Yeah, because it, it's odd that over the years, the times when a Beatle reunion could have happened, like, you know, concert for Bangladesh, you know, of course, Ringo signed up immediately. John was going to apparently, except uh, George didn't want Yoko, that ended that, but Paul was like flat against it. He's like, yeah. no, you know, and it's like, come on. But I, I noticed Paul doesn't even like to take part in other like ensemble supergroup type things. Like, had John remained alive, I think the Plastic Ono Band thing might have evolved even further where it would be John partnering, because he was doing it anyway, you know, he partnered with Elton John for a song, you know, and he yeah. partnered with David Bowie for a song. And I think, you know, had he continued, you know, I think there probably would have been a John Lennon B-52s thing or something like that, probably with Yoko. But, Possibly, except you know. if you look at Double, Double O Fantasy, it's kind of a disappointing John album in many ways because it almost feels like he's sold out. You know, the earlier <laughs> albums were angry and full of all kind of, you know, Paul, John would criticize Paul for writing happy songs about family life. And then he comes out with this album that's really L.A. slick produced. You know, it yeah. sounds like a Billy Joel production, <laughs> which doesn't seem right for John. You know, it just doesn't fit John in my mind. Yeah. And it was a little bit too slick and the songs were all, you know, happy it was, songs were all personal, which is something we could talk about with John as well. I think I think he got ever since Ballad of John and Yoko, he just got to the point where every song was so personal. There's a reason people aren't covering them because they can't make it about themselves. They can't put their own story into it because it's a John story. And I, yeah. I kind of got yeah. tired of hearing John. Yes, it's OK to write about your life every once in a while. But when every song is about your life, you know, <laughs> maybe your ego should be checked a little bit, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I always thought, you know, had he lived, uh, he wouldn't have put out that many more albums. You know, people always go, oh, he would have. No, because Lennon yeah. was naturally lazy. He even admitted as much. I think yeah. he would have done more touring. And I still think that, you know, based on what I was starting to say about him teaming up with people, and he played with Chuck Berry on Mike Douglas show, that I think he would do more guest appearances on other people's concerts. You know, uh, you know, it wouldn't be just a one-off with Elton John. Madonna would have Lennon out or, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, um, you know, even Taylor Swift now let's bring him out, John Lennon, you know, and it's like, he has no interest in these people, but he'll go out there and sing a couple songs, you know, which is kind of ironic because he always said, I'm not going to play. She loves you when I'm 30. Yeah, but you'll probably play Come Together when you're 80 if you were still yeah, around. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know I, 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 yeah, I don't know. It's like I always thought that, you know, it, I, not that I wanted Lennon to die, but, you know, it's like if his career ended then, it used to bum me out. I said, oh, he had so many years of material, and, da, da, da. and then I thought about it, and I go, he barely had enough material to do a second album. That Milk and Honey album is a little bit weak, you know, and then I don't think even if you polished it up and re-recorded it and everything and made it all nicey-nicey, other than Nobody Told Me, the rest of the album is kind of, eh, even on Lennon's stuff. You know? And Nobody Told Me was a song that he had written for Ringo originally. Yeah, so who yeah. knows? So who knows? I, I, who knows how old that song was when he recorded it, exactly. <laughs> all right so. so um let's see anyway well um let's talk about this and then we can talk more beatles so we did two books together and i'll bring them up because i got them here unless you want them too okay long title looking for the good times examining the monkey songs one by oh. one and you have a second edition and second yeah edition. i do have a second edition how about that so there, there it is, is. you know yes. now 
why did we do this? Why why did we update this? <laughs> are you asking me or is yeah, that well, I'm having you as the guest answer, even though I know the answer. Uh, well, there are a couple of reasons. Reason number one is because we knew there were not going to be any more monkeys albums, obviously. You know, with, with Mike gone, Mickey's the only one left. And he's not going to put out an album called The Monkey. <laughs> um, and there had been another album, the Christmas album that was done. And then there was a live album with Mike and Mickey, but it was listed as a Monkeys album. So we counted that one. Um, but there were two more albums we wanted to put in the book. And there were some mistakes in the book, too, and things we wanted to correct and things we wanted to expand and say more on. But also, I think we wanted to relay it out because the original book, we didn't have a lot of control over the layout, although it was done very well. I, I actually am very proud of that layout the pictures didn't necessarily match the story. Mm -hmm. And so now we made sure, you know, whenever we possibly could, we had a picture that was the right time. You know, like this picture is taken around the same time as the stuff we're talking about on that <laughs> right. page, as opposed to before when the pictures were just random all over the whole book. So I think it makes it a little bit more historically a better read because of that. Um, and like I said, we also fixed a few things that we noticed, um, added some stuff and, uh, there's a couple songs we had missed that we put in there. Um, and uh, I, in my chart in the back of the book, I had a mistake that I corrected, you know, so there's things like that. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I liked, and, you know, I don't think you asked my permission one way or the other, but I didn't, I would have said yes anyway, is we put all the, like we have an intro with Howard Kalen. Before, I don't believe it had his photo. And, uh, you know, all these uh, uh, quotes from different celebrities you've added a photo of that celebrity sometimes even with one of the monkeys if you didn't have it and you know i think it makes for a better thing because then you go oh that's who butch patrick is oh that's who peter noon is you know and things like that rather than just have a name there and you're like who is this person what are they i did a lot of work uh, on the yeah. layout i yeah. actually did the layout and i got permission from some of those people to use those photos i talked to dean Friedman, and he sent me his picture that he had with peter cork you know so we made sure that the book was as I'm, I'm much i like this version a lot better than the first version <laughs> yeah i do too actually and i thank you for kicking me in the butt to do it because honestly <laughs> if it was my own book i probably would have just left it like i did my own beatles book called mark arnold picks on the beatles back in 2011 it's yeah. still the same 2011 edition and there's been lots of stuff released since i mean I think about going back to it, but, you know, like I said, I don't have anybody kicking me in the pants to do it. I mean, if it was flying right. off the shelves, I'd probably go, hmm, time yeah, for exactly. an update. But, you know, I think well, our monkey's book generally sells pretty well, and I think it, it was it a does. welcome edition. It does sell pretty well, and, and like I said, we knew this would be this. There won't be a third edition. You know, we knew this was right. the final edition. Once, I, I hate to say it, but once Mickey is gone, we probably might update the headquarters as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but then that will be the final edition of that as well, you know, because there'd be no reason to go past it. Yeah, because I think at this point, especially with all these super deluxe Supremo <laughs> monkeys collections of headquarters and more of the monkeys and everything else. I mean, everything has been scoured off the shelves by Andrew Sandoval. I mean, I don't think there's anything else. Um, no, I, I can't imagine what else. They, I mean, even if they released the, the box set for Pisces, we probably already have all those songs. It's just going to right. be minor remixes and things, you know, that won't really count. Right. Because um, when Charles Rosen and I interviewed Chip Douglas, I mean, he alluded to some newer songs that he had dug out, but some of those made it onto the Christmas album. They were the Davy Jones Christmas songs. And uh, he, he alluded to other 
rarities beyond that but you know if if there is like a single new song that just happened to have been missed at the vaults or something i don't know if it warrants a whole other book you know yeah yeah you know, I, I was there. <laughs> you know so i don't know so but i don't know twist my arm but i think you know yeah probably a, a, a more i'm more inclined to help you with an update on headquarters you know <laughs> Which when is, that when yeah. that happens, hopefully yes, that hopefully that'll be 20, 30 years from now. So we don't have to right. <laughs> anyway. So that's that one, one. That one for those who are listening is more of a uh, biography. We go year by year through everything that they did in their solo years once the show went off the air, basically. And it's not too out of date. At least it goes to twenty twenty. See, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll do an update. Yep. Many years later. Anyway. So, all right. Um. Let's see. What so, other thing? Uh, Anything else to talk about? Uh, what no, you... I'm just saying I'm going to be seeing Mickey on on uh, on Sunday, and hopefully I, I can. I, I'm planning on bringing a copy of the second edition to try to give to Andrew. Hopefully he will be there, and I can give it to him, and I can see him if he'll let me. <laughs> okay, and then I'll give a plug for one more thing, and you know, I have to thank you for this also. Um, so you know, Charles Rosney and I worked on a Turtles book, and I know yes. you're a Turtles fan too. Uh, we finally turned it in. It took a long time because we were trying to get interviews and interviews and interviews, and we got Howard. We never got mark unfortunately and we kept trying because and ron dante even kept trying and stuff like that but uh we did get an interview that uh is kind of a rare one that uh some other people did we, we got permission to use and so um that's in lieu of that but um the book is turned in and uh i think a couple nights from now charles and i are going to do like a podcast video thing with our publisher uh to talk about the progress and what what goes on so but we tried to follow the format that you and i probably you instigated with the monkeys book in the first place because i don't know you kind of came up with you know how you know to list it you know significant cover versions and you know players and chart position and blah 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 in that format so we tried to kind of follow the similar format so Hopefully you'll be impressed when it does come out. So. I, I'm definitely looking forward to reading it no matter what. Yeah. So I don't know a, a date, but I know when we first signed with this publisher, it's called Genius Publishing. Uh, they were thrilled with it and they said, let's get it out by Halloween. I don't know why they said Halloween. They just thought Turtles used to do, uh, or Flo and Eddie used to do Halloween concerts. And they thought that was probably a good idea. So I said, okay, you know, sure. but I don't want to rush it to make it bad. So I was no, like, I, know. Uh, I, you know, I had the same problem with the monkeys book. I mean, the monkeys, so the Beatles book that just came out, yeah. uh, it ends in the year 2021. It is the, as far as I go with the, with the things, because that's when I turned it in here. It is a year and a half later. And finally it's out. And it's like, I wanted to update it. And they said, no, this is how long it takes for a book to get done. I was like, ah. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> they did an excellent job in the layout so i can't complain too much they really did a good job yeah well i guess you know that gives an excuse just like all these other ones that you know eventually can do another update because i'm sure you know barring something terrible happening you know there's going to be a few more charting beatles or solo albums coming in the next few years so you know you can put out an update with that every time Every time they re-release, you know, a new remix, you know, hopefully they're working on Rubber Soul next, I'm hoping, you know. Yeah, I think they're, yeah. You know, so yeah, that that will change things. So if you look at the book, you'll see, I'm going to bet that if I did the charts today, uh, Revolver would be higher and also Let It Be would be higher since they were both on the charts at the time that the book ended. Yeah. 
one thing I was going to say about it uh, that was kind of interesting and all that just slipped my mind and I <laughs> let me look through it in one second here and I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> oh, this book, Beatles on the Charts. Yes. <laughs> I know I'm looking and, you know, nobody's paying attention to me. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't realize you didn't uh, include songs that didn't chart at all. You know, it's like I, I, I thought you had put every release period well, or at least re re every regular release. Uh, well, if they didn't make the chart, they didn't get any points. So there's no need to do a countdown for them. But if you look in the back of the book, there is a a, um, a, a discography. It does list everything oh, okay. All in right. the back. And it'll say next to it whether it hit the chart or whether it didn't. So, yes, everything is listed. There is complete discography in the book. Okay. Um, it just no, won't necessarily have a chart placement on your charts if it, correct. it didn't, didn't make, make it, any points. Got correct. it. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Beatles discography where I go through every year. I don't know if you can get a focus or not. Yeah. And so it's it 2021 at the end, yeah. <laughs> That's so. as far as I can. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, the last entry is for Change the World by Ringo, which didn't make the chart. And so, therefore, there's no number next to it. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> that was okay, just a so, so that will explain, because I was actually looking for it. There is a single by uh, Yousef, or Cat Stevens, that he sings with McCartney and with Dolly Parton called boots and sand which is a great song i can't tell where mccartney is on it actually <laughs> it's one of those just like the rihanna one with uh kanye yeah. you know but yeah. uh it's it's a good song regardless and i thought how come it's not on here you know but you well know, wait, so. it, did paul get equal credit with them for yes it? yes yeah and there is a very rare seven inch single so but uh, it, 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 I don't think it charted anywhere. So that, that because I I, I, yeah. I was going did I miss it? Did I miss one? You know, but no, I, yeah, but going that explains why it wouldn't be there. You know, it's like if it didn't chart at all. And you know, it, I could have sworn I saw the Christmas album in there, but then you said it wasn't on there, and I go, oh, I guess it wasn't. You know, but I guess I wasn't going uh, yeah. chronologically. Yeah. Say okay, there's this one and there's this one, and it's like okay. So that was, that was yeah. the one. That, yeah. So that was, you know, now that, that explains it. But yeah, if you haven't heard that song, it's it's on YouTube. There's a video for it. It's called Boots and Sands. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Yousef uh, with McCartney <laughs> and Dolly Parton. <laughs> and I guess you can hear McCartney in the background, but you can definitely it definitely is Cat Stevens. And you can okay. tell that Dolly's singing in the background. But, well, you know, but that's it. You know, Paul sang on backgrounds of lots of albums. I mean, he worked on Bonzo Dog Band, you know, he, he right. worked with you know he did a lot of things you know george produced lots of things if we listed everything they had ever done with any other person the book would be you know nine miles thick right? yep. <laughs> it's worth it. um, that's true yeah and, um <laughs> all right um anything you're working on now uh nothing non-fiction i'm just working on trying to finish a sequel to my last novel and um, i got a couple more ideas for some anthologies that i'm talking to my publisher about okay that's it. You know, there, there should be another anthology coming out later this year. Um, and uh, I'm actually trying to think about doing some audio versions of my uh, novels. Uh, okay. I've got an audio version of the Constitution book, How to Argue the Constitution with a Conservative, but I haven't. And, and that's it's selling OK. Um, I didn't want anyone else to read it. So I figured, hey, if, if I can do that, I can maybe do some of my novels. So that's my next project, hopefully. How about hey. you? Any, well, wait a minute. I want to ask on the Constitution book. Any updates on that one? <laughs> no, I, 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 I 
theoretically I could update it every year, especially after the Dobbs decision. Now, I yeah, well, I just, that's what I was kind of alluding to without saying yeah. it directly. Um, well, was, I'm waiting to see what my publisher says. Okay. <laughs> if he's, willing, if he's yeah. willing to do it, that'd be something right. I would be. I mean, obviously, if there's another constitutional amendment, but you know, I don't know how likely that is at this point. I mean, you know, since the 27th yeah. one just was a fluky thing and it happened, what, 30 years ago? Yeah, so yeah. it's been yeah. a while. Getting, getting three-fourths of the states to agree on something is very, very, very difficult, so I don't expect that to happen. Right. And there's so many other ideas that should be changed in the Constitution before that one, like getting rid of the Electoral College. <laughs> Um, I'll just ask this quickly and then I'll talk about my own projects, but the the Equal Rights Amendment, it had a few more states ratify it, but I mean, does that mean anything or is that just pomp and circumstance because isn't it expired so it can't really be passed even if you got every state in agreement on it? Um, if, if the original bill had a deadline, then yes, it would be expired, but I'm not sure if it did. Just like this, the 27th Amendment didn't have a deadline, which was okay. actually written by James Madison and got passed 200 years later. Okay. But it depends now, on what the original said. Yeah. Let's say it did have a deadline, which I think it did, but let's say it, definitely it did. What would happen? I mean, uh, I, could I they think, undo it and say, all right, we want to pass this anyway? I mean, how does that work? I think what would happen is if they did it past the deadline, and someone challenged it to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court might say, yes, it's past the deadline. And then the states say, okay, fine, we'll just pass it again right now and it'll get done in two minutes. Yeah. You know, so they, so somebody might say it's not worth appealing to the Supreme Court is what I'm trying to say. Plus, okay. you have to have standing. I'm not sure who would have standing to appeal a constitutional amendment. That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> Subject for the next chapter in the book. I don't know. Anyway, um, all right, what am I working on? Well, um, I was getting all excited because I finally turned in my Mad Magazine book called Unconditionally Mad. And then, uh, this is in March, I turned it in. And then uh, I finally got an interview with Sam Viviano, the art director for 20 years over at Mad. And he gave me a lengthy three-hour interview, which will be one of these podcast episodes or two coming up. Uh, it'll be up by the time this is up. Uh, but uh, I said... <laughs> so uh because he said a lot of good stuff so i went to ben you know ben at uh, uh bear manor and i said i got another interview and it was sam viviano and he says oh he's good okay uh <laughs> you don't have to you, you know so i'm almost so, done transcribing it uh i've been transcribing for the last couple of weeks i'm about five minutes away at the end of the interview so i mean which five minutes to transcribe takes about an hour or two yeah, you know because yeah. that's how it works um but my goal is to turn it in again at the end of april so hopefully it'll be out this time this year um but it is a complete history of mad and i interviewed a lot of other people you can see them on other past episodes of this podcast dick de bartolo tom richmond uh who else um kit lively um some are not so well known because they only did one or two pieces but you know hey you know it's like uh but pat moriarty is one he only he he touts himself as the last idiot standing or the last idiot hired or something i forgot what he said he, it's on the All podcast right. but uh he said some funny things and you know he only made a couple of appearances in mad before you know the whole thing with morrison and i interviewed bill morrison got the hook and that was the end of mad but uh, I've tried to update it just like you do and I do with the monkeys books and everything else to, yeah. I have it to the current issue number 31, but uh, I at least am glad. Uh, yeah. 
since it took me four years to do it, at least I'm glad that they did one last hurrah a few months ago yep. with number 28, where they did a 70th anniversary issue and got as many people as they could yeah. back. And, and that's probably going to be it. I mean, if they do it again for the 75th, who's going to be here? You know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll probably need, you know, not even be here. No, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, so that's coming well, out. Uh, Turtles book's coming out. Uh, I don't know if my Warren Kramer book's ever coming out. That's in uh, approval hell from the family. So who knows? So it's really on the back burner. As far as brand new books, and I mentioned this on some recent podcasts, but they may not be up yet either. Um, TV, uh, TV, wait, how's it, what's the title of it? Uh, TV cartoons that time forgot. And uh, basically, Jerry Beck and I were uh, discussing just possible books I could write and stuff like that because he's not up to writing as many books as I do so he kind of throws ideas my way and some I go "Hmm, that's pretty good and some I don't um so as you may or may not know I did a book on to Patty Freeling I did a book on total television so you know it's like what other studios are there that haven't had a book I mean people have done a filmation book there's been a Hanna-Barbera book there's been you know all the other major studios, Looney Tunes, Fleischer, and other, so what's left? And I decided after talking with him about it, is talk about all those studios that basically are known for maybe like one, maybe two different Saturday morning shows. And everybody usually attributes them to Jay Ward or something because they don't know who made them, you know, like Calvin right. and the Colonel or something like that. So, right. and so I. On the shows or the studios? It's on the studios. And it will okay. talk about each thing that that studio did because a lot of them didn't really do Saturday morning cartoons. That was just a, a side thing. The main thing is they're doing like TV commercials and maybe segments for Sesame Street and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Originally, I was going to do from like the beginning of time to now. And then I said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like after 1980, it goes from like, it's like there's only like so many studios. And then after 1980, whoop, you know, and it's like, ah. So I, I made 1980 my cutoff. I decided just to do American studios unless it was kind of hybridish because I don't really want to talk about Japanese animation and all the other yeah. stuff because it's just too much i mean this can make so i whittled it down to basically 15 studios that so there's like hal seeger uh mm-hmm. krantz uh grand trey lawrence i can't think of all of them uh, tv spots different ones like that so and once i get this mad book out of the way that's what i'm working on <laughs> so and i started it but it's really skeletal right now so anyway yeah well, good it. luck with that i'm looking forward to that one too thank you <laughs> all right all right, and so uh, one last question: Are you doing any appearances, any shows again? You did one at a Beatles convention pretty recently, I think. Or anything coming up? No, mostly I do uh, science fiction conventions um, okay. because I'm selling my anthologies and things more than anything else. Although I do always bring the Beatles books and the Monkeys books with me. <laughs> uh, there was one I was going to go to next weekend down in Richmond, Virginia, but we had to cancel because of my wife's health. A week later, there's one in New Jersey called Heliosphere. Um, and there's a couple more, but it's all on my webpage. If you go to michaelaventrella.com or just michaelaventrella.com, there's a list of every place you can ever find me. Plus links to all my books <laughs> and, and links to all my interviews, including with Mark. Yay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being my guest once again, Michael. I'm losing my voice, as you can tell. <laughs> um, 
<coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> too many podcasts. This is like number 214, I believe. So here we go. Wow. Anyway, so I appreciate it. When you do another book, come on back on the show um, and we'll talk again. All right. Thank you very much. So let me uh, do an outro. Uh, this has been Mark Arnold, and we were here with Michael A. Ventrella. His latest book is The Beatles on the Charts. And, of course, uh, we have done two uh, monkeys books together, which I will show you here. And they're all available on the usual websites, Amazon or uh, barnesandnoble.com, or you can order them through the publisher. Publishers are either Bear Manor, or in the case of the Beatles book, it's McFarland, or some of the other publishers, because <laughs> I know Michael's worked with many other publishers than I have. Um, anyway, so that about wraps it up for this episode of the Fun Ideas podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Michael A. Ventrella, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 215 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Tower.